I was, uh, I was in the a f- training exercise at Fort Benning, Georgia, and my company commander uh, stopped the exercise. He pulled us up around him, and we were like, this is kind of strange. And he told us that two planes had crashed into the World Trade Center, another plane had crashed into the Pentagon, and another plane had crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. My first thought was, the world is ending. You know, I was thinking of the movie Left Behind when the planes were falling out of the sky because the pilots had gone up to heaven. And I was, then my next thought was, oh, I'm still here. Uh, so this isn't good either. And then my next thought was, oh, he must, this must be part of the next iteration and training exercise or something like that. But then he said, if any of you have family members living in New York City or Pennsylvania or uh, that work in the Pentagon, something like that, please let me know and we'll try to get you a chance to make a phone call. And it was at this uh, moment that I realized, uh, wait, my uncle is a firefighter in New York City. And so I raised my hand and I said, uh, you know, my uncle's a firefighter in the Bronx and I'd like to check to see if he's okay. And so over the next couple of weeks, as I called and and checked in with my family to see what the status was uh, with my uncle, uh, the the mission went from search and rescue to a recovery mission at Ground Zero in New York City. It wasn't until months later to where the final uh, or official notification was made to my aunt, Anne Van Hine, that her husband, uh, Richard Bruce Van Hine, was pronounced dead officially. She received uh, the death certificate, and when she read it, it said, Richard Bruce Van Hine died September 11th, 2001. Cause of death, homicide. I want you to just think about that for a second. Homicide was the official cause of death. My aunt read those words, she was shocked, because she said to herself, my husband wasn't killed by anybody. He gave his life doing what he had always wanted to do, which was to become a New York firefighter. His life wasn't taken, it was, he gave it for what he loved to do. And I share that story this morning with you because 21 years ago, the attacks that happened, it was a national tragedy. Uh, But for our family and for my aunt and for my mother, whose brother was killed, uh, this is a very personal day for us too, that my aunt shares this with the rest of the nation, her personal tragedy. The families and the victims of September 11, 2001, we remember them today. And all of you who are old enough to remember that day, you probably know exactly where you were when you were given the news, exactly what you were doing. And as you watch the news and you watch these events uh, unfold and before your eyes, maybe some of you stood in disbelief of what you were seeing. You had never experienced this before. And for those of you who don't recall that day or were young and uh, too young to remember that, I hope you never have to experience a day like that because it was awful. It was terrible. 
Today, my Aunt Anne gives tours at Ground Zero and shares her story with thousands and thousands of visitors that come to visit um, the World Trade Center and the, the new tower that is there. And as she shares her story, there was a group of elementary school students who were doing a tour, and after the tour was finished, she asks, are there any questions? And this boy raises his hands and he says, I don't, I don't get it. Why would someone kill themselves in order to kill others? And she said, well, you know, there's a lot of history to kind of be understood by this, but basically they were taught to hate. And then the boy, still seeming confused, said, well, I, don't, I still don't get it. I don't understand. She says, I hope you never understand that kind of hate. It was an awful day, and it's a day I'll never forget, and it's a day probably many of you will never forget either. But after that, it seems like there was kind of a united front that the United States came together on. There was a sense of unity. There was flags and banners all over the United States. You know, it says, united we stand, together we fall. And it seemed like there was this unity that the United States was experiencing for the first time in many years. But it was around a rally behind a common enemy, or it seemed, that it was the Taliban who was the enemy. Hate and the willingness to die for hate is everywhere. And it is only until the cycle of hate is broken that love will begin to come through. Love is going to have to break the cycle of hate. And many of us, I think, will continue pursuing enemies or labeling people as enemies, both in our lives personally or professionally, that truly can't be defeated. In a time where it's easier to distance ourselves from others, to remain rooted in our various tribal ways of thinking, ways of voting, addressing problems in this world, it's almost impossible not to pit others against others. It's almost impossible not to make other people your enemy or see them as an enemy. But what is challenging to all of us, I would hope today, is that we are called to love our enemies. I bet I could ask you this morning, who are your enemies? And maybe some of you might say, well, it's a nation state, or it's this political party, or it's this influencer on social media, it's this organization that teaches something that goes against every fiber of my beliefs. Maybe it's another religion, maybe it's another denomination, a coworker, a boss, a neighbor. But whoever or whatever came to your mind this morning, this is who I am addressing for you. 21 years ago, again, it seemed like we were united together. We saw the Taliban as an enemy who were responsible for the deaths of almost 3,000 people. And through that strong sense of unity, that unity was experienced because all of our efforts were focused on who we deemed as an enemy. And that is typically how the United States has always defined its identity. It identifies itself by who it is not, and it also identifies among a common enemy to give it meaning. 
But what I think our attitude needs to be as Christians today is that our identity has got to be about love. It's got to be about love. What defines a Christian has to be love. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47, You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. And he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? There is a challenge here that we are to love those who hate you, to love those who disagree with you, those of you who disagree with you online as well. Maybe they're going to be mean to you. Maybe there's people who are truly mean and awful to you, and there are some people in this world who may even want some of us dead. And so this command from Jesus to love those who would persecute us or even seek harm to us is not a challenge or a command that's to be taken lightly. We are to love those who persecute us. It is way easier, I think, to hate somebody because it seems like it's more of a natural fleshly response. It doesn't take much thought at all on my part. And it's, I think, also easier to love someone because the Spirit of God living in us, who's giving us that ability to love. But again, my default is usually to my flesh. I know some of you who are way holier than I, it's easier for you to love. But for me, sometimes it's difficult. At Celebrate Recovery a few weeks ago, we heard in a lesson, the author told us that causing an, en- uh, causing an injury puts you below your enemy. But revenging an injury makes you even with your enemy. But forgiving your enemy sets you above them. And most importantly, it sets you free. Regarding our common enemy, it is Satan. And Satan is cunning and is going to do everything within his limited power to try to persuade us, to lie to us, to convince us through situations and manipulating those situations to cause us to think that we need to pursue vengeance, that we need to hold on to grudges, to hold on to resentments, to withhold forgiveness from them because that's what they deserve. But what if this is how God operated? What if this is how God chose to interact with his world and his people? Wouldn't we all be doomed for destruction if God truly gave us justice and everything that we deserved? Heaven would be empty. I think the challenging our perspective away from hating others And then now seeing them as just flawed individuals with a sin nature that I think really reflects our own sin nature. Sometimes what we don't like about ourselves, we see in other people maybe we're not even conscious of. But we have to stop seeing people as others, as an enemy, and begin to see them as God sees them. 
And we want to treat them the way we would want to be treated as well. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit it is to you? And even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? And even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I don't like that answer. Maybe some of us don't like that answer either. But I push against that. That doesn't feel right. I want to hold on to my resentments and not want to forgive other people. This is my fleshly way of thinking. And I need to release that way of thinking. And I'm challenging all of you to do the same thing. You have to let go. You have to realize, and I have to realize, we have to realize all that God has done for us and all the things that he is continuing to do for us and to realize that if we are going to hold on to the unforgiveness towards other people, then that isn't how God treats us. All the things that God has done for us, grace, mercy, love, he's given to us. And we know how bad we've messed up before. So who are we to withhold forgiveness to other people? One of the ways I think we hold on to our resentments and our unforgiveness is through avoiding. We disengage with another person. We unfriend them. We block them on our Instagrams accounts or whatever. We walk away. We stop being in community with them. We cut the relationship off altogether. There are some real hurts that people have caused us, though. Abuse, affairs, neglect, addiction, even murder, or causing an untimely death. These are no simple issues to which I'm telling you this, this morning to just get over it, because I'm not. What I'm saying is that I think it's way easier for us to disengage in relationship rather than trying to build reconciliation and healing we want to hold on to our resentments rather than love. But we have to become willing to become willing to forgive someone. We have to become willing. And I think another way that we hold on to our resentments and our unforgiveness is through retribution. We want an eye for an eye. We want a tooth for a tooth. But if we're being honest, we want more. If someone does a wrong to us, we want them to experience that pain and maybe just a little bit more. I'll give you an example. 
let's say hypothetically, um, my kids, they might get into a physical altercation. Just hypothetically speaking, that maybe someone gets pushed down or hurt either on purpose or an accident, and then hypothetically maybe that person decides to exact the same pain onto them. It's never equal. It's always more, right? Maybe you have raised kids or you yourself know, ow, this hurt, and then the punch comes just a little bit harder. Or maybe it needs to escalate, and instead of a push down, it's a punch to biting, to kicking, to screaming, and then grabbing a knife in the kitchen and running around, chasing them around the hallway. That's never happened in our house, by the way. And it better not ever happen in my house either. But to exact the same type of retribution or punishment or harm is almost impossible, And that's why the Old Testament law said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You can't go beyond and give more back to what was received to you. It has to be equal in nature. But Jesus challenged us to return that hate, to return that wrong with love instead. To repay evil with good. In Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, this is called the Beatitudes. And starting in verse uh, 7 through verse 16, we're going to hear these beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Town can, built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When I see the footage of the attacks of September 11, 2001 and the effects it's had on me and my family and my career both in the military and in full-time ministry, it's sometimes still difficult to not hold on to unforgiveness or anger. I also know that holding on to anger or resentment in any situation that I encounter drains a great deal of energy from me. It drains me emotionally and physically. And guess what? When I'm holding on to that unforgiveness or I'm choosing to hold on to hate, I'm really just hurting myself. And people are watching how I'm going to respond as well. Hey, you know, they wear the bracelets. You've seen them. What would Jeremy do? You know? Yeah. I mean, people have been watching me for a long time. It's nuts. 
But if I choose to hide the light of Christ in my life, what good am I? If I have lost the saltiness, right, the, the flavoring in my speech, what good am I? People are watching what I will do, how I will choose to respond, and they'll determine whether or not God is a good God or not because of that. Is it fair? No. And guess what? If you go to church with any kind of regularity, if you go back and say, hey, I was at church on Sunday, or people know that you go to this church or you go to any other church, they will assume that you're a Christian, that you've got life kind of worked out, and they are going to judge everything that you do based on what they think of Christianity. And I think that's why Many people in the secular world and non-Christians can't stand us. It's because of how we treat them. And I think it's also because of how we treat each other. I, I, I see public right to know. I mean, I see, I see comments back and forth. I, I see these things going around town. I know. What would Jeremy do? No, just, but we are an example, and we need to choose to live into love and forgiveness. We need to not hold on to our resentments and our angers towards others. And are there resentments and unforgiveness that some of us are holding on to today? And if so, where is God calling you to address those in your own life? I'm going to give you some practical things that you can do today, right now. So you should write them down. You should write them down. Number one, recognize that the hurt exists and that there is hurt that you have experienced. Don't try to pretend that it's not there. But once you recognize that the hurt is there, number two you need to ask God how he wants you to respond. And since we heard in scripture what Jesus has already commanded us to do, which is to love those who persecute, persecute us, to love those who would do us harm, it's clear in scripture. But we need to begin meditating on God's word over and over and over again until we hear what God is telling us and how to proceed. Number three, we can talk to other Christians about it. Talk about your hurt. Share about what God is revealing to you in Scripture, what he is placing on your heart. And get involved maybe on Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights. I know I say it a lot, but look, that's what so many of us are working through on Tuesday nights is to let go of that hurt and to offer forgiveness not only to others but to ourselves. And look, it's a free meal. Tuesday nights, just show up, 5.30. All right, there you go. But we can't operate without being in Christian community. We can't go through this life alone. We need other people. Maybe set up an appointment with someone here on staff and talk to us about what God is placing on your heart and maybe the struggle that you're having of maybe holding on to it. Number four, reflect on all the things that God has done for you. And if you're holding resentment or unforgiveness to someone else, Look at your own life and all that God has done for you and ask yourself, how could I be holding this over this other person? If God can forgive you, then surely we might be able to forgive someone else. See others as God sees them. 
Number five, unless it is in the case of physical, emotional, sexual, or spiritual abuse that is still ongoing, I would encourage you to not disengage in that relationship. If God is laying someone or someones on your heart, there's a reason. Don't discount that. God is wanting to bring resolution and reconciliation perhaps with those people and you need to seek godly advice on how to proceed and especially in those cases which I just mentioned, you definitely need to come and see someone here on staff or one of the leaders in Celebrate Recovery because we have steps on how to proceed through those issues. But again, we have to be willing to be willing to let those things go. Number six, we need to recognize that hanging on to our hate, to our unforgiveness, is just taking up way too much energy in our life and taking up too much brain space. Forgiveness is not taking the other person off the hook or alleviating them from the responsibilities that they need to take for their actions, but it does release you from the bondage you are experiencing because of the hate or unforgiveness in your life. Number seven, pray, pray, pray. God is going to give you the answer. God is perfect. He is our best guide and our best resource, and he will tell you what you need to do. He's never going to let us down. Now look, there is so much more I can say about all of this in September 11th, but this is my challenge to all of us today. Don't forget about the pain or the turmoil that we've experienced here, but that we need to move towards love and forgiveness. Not only for those who love us, but for those who hate us. And not only for our enemies, but for those who we perceive as our enemies as well. I asked my Aunt Anne uh, many, many years ago, Uh, how she felt about the terrorists who were responsible for the death of her husband. And she said, Jeremy, I chose to love and pray for my enemies and not hate them. For someone to experience that and for her to have that response, if she is able to do that, then surely I'm able to do that as well. Surely we can do that as well. Having to raise two young daughters on her own, having her husband and the girl's father taken away from them, to choose to love her enemies and to forgive them is something that I would truly inspire too, and something that many of us can never comprehend. But today is a day of remembrance as well, and we do remember the tragedy that took place 21 years ago. We think about those who were on Flight 93 who crashed into a field in Pennsylvania, those who died in the airplanes that flew into the Pentagon, the many civilians and uh, military personnel and contractors who were killed there, and for the people who died in the World Trade Center and for when it collapsed and for all the first responders. Those are all the people that we remember around this as well. And we also recognize that we do share this day of remembrance with those who experienced personal loss as well. My challenge to us today is to move beyond hate, to move beyond unforgiveness, 
to be able to move in towards love. And we are only able to truly love someone else if the light of Christ is in us. And so do not rely on your own understanding, but seek God, seek his will, and know that your light is shining for the whole world to see, and they're watching to see how you're treating each other and how you're treating them. Let's pray. God, as we come before you again this morning, we recognize that we do fall short day in and day out. That there are many things in our lives and issues that we have experienced that maybe for some of us we're still holding on to that hate and unforgiveness. Maybe we are truly exceeding, seeing people and situations as enemies. And God, the persecution that maybe we receive or perceive, there is so much animosity and anger towards people these days. And God, I just pray that you would help soften our hearts to recognize that if we've received a wrong or we are persecuted or attacked, but God count it as a blessing to not be revenged, but God, that we can love through all circumstances the way you have commanded us. And we look to you as the ultimate example of how you experienced that because you loved us so much that you died and gave your life for us to be raised again, to give us new life. So God, help us as we begin to let go of these um, resentments and anger and hate. And we release that to you this morning. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.